Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the experience of Karina from Enderf.org. And Karina says, Around late summer of 1989, my doctor informed me that I needed to have a hysterectomy. I didn't want to have the surgery. I felt I was too young. And having lost my own mother to uterine cancer at the age of 30, I was petrified of what they might find. Having no choice in the matter, because I was experiencing such severe pain and problems, I finally agreed to go ahead with the surgery. They put me in a single bed ward, and I was left for the rest of the afternoon to think about what, I, what was about to happen to me the next morning. I remember praying, telling God that I was scared and to give me strength. All day, I prayed and told God that I didn't want to die. Around 8 a.m., they wheeled me into surgery and brought me back sometime later, perhaps around 11 a.m., but I'm not sure. What I do remember is that they kept, or is that from the time they took me back to my single room, I kept calling the nurses to tell them that something was wrong. They kept saying that nothing was wrong, and sometimes would just give me a shot thinking that I needed pain relief, even though I kept telling them I didn't want any. Finally, finally around 8.30 p.m. that night, I remember opening my eyes and thinking, I'm going to die. When I tried to reach the buzzer to call the nurse, I didn't even have the energy to do it. As my head dropped to the right, I saw a bed at the other end of the room with the most beautiful older lady with pure white hair that I have ever seen. I had a feeling she was very old, and yet she looked so perfect, so young. She looked at me with the sweetest smile and said, I will call the nurses. Do not be afraid. Everything will be all right. I must have passed out, for my next recollection is of the nurses hovering above me and asking, What do you want? I can't breathe. I think I'm dying. They took my blood pressure. In a panic, one nurse told the other one to quickly call the doctor because something was wrong. She gave me oxygen, and soon the doctor was at my bedside telling me that I had been bleeding internally all day and that they would have to open me up again. Up to this point, I had been so scared, thinking that I was going to die. But as they were flying me down the hallway back to the surgery room, suddenly a warm, cozy, comfortable feeling came over me, and I wasn't afraid anymore. I thought, oh, this is what is supposed to happen, and it felt good. I told the doctor, who was talking to me as he was running beside my bed on wheels, your voice sounds funny. It sounds almost like an echo. Don't you leave us, Karina, he answered. The first thing that happened after they put me out, gave me a general anesthesia, and to make me unconscious, was that I was suddenly floating over my body, watching them panic. The doctor saying, I can't see anything. Too much blood. He cut me one way and then the other up and down. My next thought and feeling was of being in total darkness. I was feeling my body, but upon looking down, I was not seeing anything. I was petrified and remember saying, Please, God, don't let me be alone. Where are you? 
The next thing that I saw was the most brilliant, intense light that I have ever seen. It was so bright that I could barely look into it. In front of the light was a huge cathedral-like doorway, and standing by that was my mother, who had died when I was around eight years old. There were some others there, but didn't recognize who they were. The feeling that I experienced is somewhat hard to explain, but I will try my best. All and any abuse or pain that I experienced in my life, whether it had been physical, emotional, or mental, was completely gone. In its place was an intense love, acceptance, devotion, and sense of well-being. For one second, I understood it all. So simple. But then it was gone, as if we are not meant to understand it all. My mother then looked at me and said, but not in words, only in thought, you have been given a second chance. I can take you the rest of the way, or you can go back. I remember feeling so extremely good there and wanting to stay, but then I thought of my young children and said to my mother, I have to go back. My children still need me. And you know how hard it is for you was for you to leave us when we were young. All of a sudden, I felt like I had been on a huge rubber band, stretched to the max, and then brought back again with, with a jolt so strong it almost hurt. And it felt awkward to be back in there. I opened my eyes to a nurse crying by my bed in the intensive care unit whose eyes were as wide as saucers in exclamation. She said, you're back. Oh, and you gave us such a scare. I will go get the doctor. I had two questions for the medical team right off the bat. One was, who was and where is that old woman that was in the other room? They answered, what old woman? You were alone in your room. Then I asked, I died, didn't I? They would not answer me, but when I started telling the doctor about floating over my body and everything that was said and the tools that were used, he almost fled from the room. Well, since that experience, my intuitive gifts have become stronger and stronger. Sometimes I feel so connected to everything, plants, trees, sky, and all that is. It's the most wonderful feeling in the world. Where I felt anger before, now I feel love. This experience has touched every facet of my life. I know that God has a purpose for me because I just had another abdominal surgery, which should have taken one and a half hours, but took four and a half hours. And apparently I was very lucky. They called me the tough cookie and the miracle girl. I don't remember having the same experience as the last time, but came back with the most tremendous, wonderful feeling. Before them putting me out for surgery, I remember saying to my doctor, Don't worry, I have asked that God guides your hands and the specialist's hands when he's, calling in, when he's called in. And that's exactly what happened. They had to call a specialist halfway through because of complications. I know God wants me to do something, but I wish I was sure of what, it, what that is. I would be comfortable counseling, 
writing if it was if I was better at it or doing workshops of some kind but it would be nice to have the gift of healing in some way I would like to make a big difference in the world before I go I know that this may sound silly to some people but believe me this is from my heart and my soul what a wonderful feeling and that is the end of Karina's experience beautiful isn't it I find it interesting that she has premonitions that she's going to die. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to discern when you hear these experiences between, you know, premonitions and just paranoia. Because let's face it, any of us who are facing major surgery or, or some kind of situation where we could die, we have thoughts of, what if this is it? What if this is the end? What if I'm about to die? And you know, is that a premonition? Uh, maybe sometimes, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, she seems to have had a very clear premonition that this was coming. And then seeing the old woman who was both extremely old and seemed young to her also. I find that very interesting as if perhaps a spirit was taking on the form of an old woman in order to look like a patient in the hospital and yet the youngness in her couldn't be completely hidden in some way, perhaps. So that's kind of interesting. And then, after being reassured by the woman, and the woman probably pushed the button for her, because, as she said, she didn't even have the strength to do that, um, or, or this angel uh, pushed the button for her in order to call them in, and yet she had this experience. And, and you know, she says that, she was given a general anesthesia to make her unconscious. Now, if you know anything about general anesthesia, you can't have dreams under general anesthesia. It puts out the part of the brain that uh, creates dreams. And uh, so you can't dream during that time. And uh, as she's, you know, suddenly feeling this warm, cozy feeling come over her, she says, oh... This is what's supposed to happen. You know, she'd been feeling all morning, something's not right, something's not right. Now she's like, ah, okay, now this is how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> Which, you know, is kind of frightening because here she says, you know, your voice sounds kind of funny. It almost sounds like an echo. And she's in this pleasant feeling. And, and the doctor, I don't know if he's just seen this before or if he's sensing that something's really going wrong or if he just generally knows how serious the situation is medically. He says, don't you leave us, Karina. <laughs> and the first thing that happens is that he's, is, you know, um, when they put her under the general anesthesia, is that she's suddenly floating above her body, watching them panic and, and kind of run around and, you know, try to take care of this body that has just gone unconscious and is obviously dying. And then she finds herself in this light, in this glorious light. Um, and she says, she tried it well. And it's interesting because she um, says that she was in this huge light that she could barely look at it. And in front of the light was a huge cathedral-like doorway. Now, as, as um, um, stereotypical as it sounds, you know, you keep seeing these gates and doorways and, you know, pearly whites, if you will, your pearly gates, I mean. And, uh, 
you've got these kind of situations that are so stereotypical and yet unique in so many ways too because this was a cathedral-like doorway instead of a gate and and so forth everybody's experience is unique in so many ways and yet there's clearly some kind of you know barrierness about this that is crossable and yet she and though she doesn't say that if she crosses through that gate that she's not coming back but here we're at this gate where often people are given that message um, that they sense that if they pass this point that they won't be able to return but uh, here she is and her mother appears who as she said her mother died at age 30 she says that she was eight years old when her mother died and uh, her mother comes to her and in thoughts says to her you've been given a second chance I can take you the rest of the way or you can go back now this is interesting to me because her mother died of a very similar situation and it makes you wonder was she given a similar choice and did she choose to stay that's unclear maybe she wasn't given the choice after all her mother says you've been given a second chance implying that if you want it you can go back you have that choice now does everyone have that choice I don't know because we've only heard from those who have come back and we do know from their explanation of it later that many who choose to stay don't get to <laughs> so kind of interesting and she even says I remember feeling so extremely good there and wanting to stay but then she thought of her young children and said to her mother I have to go back and it, it makes you wonder if one of the reasons that her mother died when she was so young was partly so that she would have the uh, context to think and of her children and not just say well I know they'll be okay like many experience but rather to think about her experience as a child as a motherless child growing up saying you know what I can't do that to my child I know what that put me through and maybe that gave her some of the context to be able to say I have to go back my children still need me and I know how hard it was for you to leave us when we were young which is an interesting thing to say because she doesn't say I know how hard it was for me when you left but rather she says I know how hard it was for you to leave us now I don't doubt that uh, in her last words um, her mother may have said things to imply it's hard for me to leave I, I can't stand the thought of leaving you guys but it could also be that she is intuitively recognizing the feelings that her mother went through at the time of her own death that she knew that it was hard for her mother to leave very interesting I don't know the answer to that whether it was her own perspective or sensing her mother's perspective but uh, very interesting bit there and then all of a sudden the moment she says that like a rubber band snapping back she's boom back in the body and though probably in pain uh, and certainly awkward as she put it um, it felt awkward to be back in there she opens her eyes and there's the nurse crying over her and her eyes get wide the nurse's eyes get wide and says you're back you gave us such a scare and then when she tries to ask 
I died, didn't I? They wouldn't give her a straight answer. And almost scared the doctor out of the room when she described floating over her body and so forth. And then she described some of her intuitive gifts that she apparently had, because she says, have become stronger and stronger um, since her experience. And yet, it, you know, she doesn't make it clear whether she had any gifts before this or not, um, because she says, since that experience, my intuitive gifts have become stronger and stronger. It could be that they've become stronger with time since the experience or whatever, but her description of of the gifts are that she feels so connected with everything, plants, trees, sky, and all that is. It's the most wonderful feeling in the world. Um, where I felt anger before, now I feel love. This experience has touched every facet of my life. A beautiful, beautiful experience. Which brings on, I want to share a message from one of our listeners. Delon Curtis has called in several times, and I'm grateful that he called in again because his question is very, I think it's something that near-death experiencers need to hear because of, you know, kind of what comes out of it. So I'm going to share his message, and I think it's appropriate here because she's talking about her after effects, which in her case seem to be rather positive, you know, connection to plants, trees, sky, and, and all that. But not everyone's are positive on the on the surface. So let me share Delon's uh, message and then we'll talk about it. Hiya, Jess. Uh, this is Delon. Hey, uh, just in one of your recent uh, podcasts about the, uh, uh, you know, after effects of, uh, you know, when you have near-death experiences, uh, near the end of that, you mentioned about uh, just being sensitive uh, to the uh, electromagnetic uh, uh, energy, uh, I think sometimes it's called EMH or something like that. But anyway, uh, I think you know what I mean. Uh, I, I've got, a, uh, well, she used to be a foster daughter of mine, and this was probably before, you know, I don't even know if you can remember, uh, you were just, uh, we had her back about 1980 to 85. So you weren't weren't too old, <laughs> but anyway, uh, she lived with us for a while, and then she went on to California and different places. But uh, in the last few years, uh, she's developed, and I don't know, she was on uh, some uh, drugs for a while, not not illegal ones, but she she had migraines really bad, and she got on bicodin and some. Real strong drugs, and I don't know if she got off those or what. And I was trying to help her, but then all of a sudden she developed this uh, hypersensitive to electricity and mag uh, magnetism, and she says it's so bad that she can't uh, leave her apartment because she, you know, the outside effects and stuff of it just just really make her sick and weak, and uh, she. Uh, she went, in fact, she, she said a lot of it come from, uh, her apartment at the time. She had to move the apartments because she said it was so bad, uh, from these, uh, smart meters. Now what they are, uh, you probably know, but I don't know, uh, in the cities have, uh, 
power meter that reads, you know, how much electricity is. Well, we digital is mostly now send out a signal so we don't have to, you know, the checkers, they can just read it. Uh, they don't have to come and look at your meter like they used to. <laughs> but anyway, I guess she had a room. Well, a bunch of apartments, a complex, and there was a whole bunch of these uh, uh, smart meters, they call them. And she says they really affected her, and after that she is uh, just so, uh, you know, sensitive to her. It just ruined her life. She says she can't go to work, she can't use a computer or anything. And she tried to get, uh, uh, you know, my brother Sterling Deuce to... uh, uh, make her a, a mouse for a computer keyboard because she says she can't even use uh, give out this uh, electromagnetic film. She knew that Deuce could make one, create one, because, you know, he's, he's kind of an electrical genius that way, and he, and he probably could. But I don't know. She, she got so uh, crazy about it that, you know, just kind of tried to suggest other things, and I, and I tried to help out. You know, we both agreed that she's she's suffering here. We didn't know how much was in her head and how much it wasn't, because she just wasn't able to hardly do anything. And uh, he says, well, I could do it, but he says it'd take a lot of time. And he says, I don't think that's going to help you. Well, she got so frustrated and mad at him, she started calling him names and uh, you know, I won't mention some of the things, but finally he got kind of frustrated and just quit uh, writing to her and, and uh, or emailing her. And she kept trying to talk me in to talk Deuce into making these. And I thought, well, I'm not going to, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable telling Deuce you got to do this and that. And, and I just kind of caught in between. And, you know, finally I just kind of quit. Uh, communicate with her too and I felt bad because I really want to help and she'd send me all these things you know people that had uh, very similar problems in fact she joined this uh, uh, in the power movement I guess that talks about these things on uh, I don't know if it's YouTube or anyway it's a, a site and uh, you know I just kind of had to let it go but she sent me all kinds of different things about uh, people that uh, have had troubles and from supposedly doctors, scientists. So I really think there is something to it. Uh, but I, I don't know how much, you know. But I know sometimes people do develop uh, sensitivities later on. Like, uh, you know, my son-in-law, Eric, uh, he he just, the last... A couple of years got sensitive to gluten. He never had any problems with that before. And I've seen other people all of a sudden get sensitive to different things. And so, you know, I guess that's possible. I don't know. But uh, I just thought I'd bring that up uh, about the uh, sensitivity to the electromagnetic thing. Uh, you know, your, yours is more, I guess, you cause things to quit working. Hers is, they, they cause her to quit working. In other words, she just, she, for a while she was living in the car. She says, I can't, you know, I can't work. I can't do anything. I've got to get away from any kind of power source. So I don't know. I wish I could help her, and I don't know what to do other than, you know, pray for her or, you know, things like that. But anyway, uh, just thought I'd bring that up.
All right. I guess that's me through. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, very interesting. Thank you for calling, Dilan, because this is something that uh, is really interesting to me because, you know, we've talked a little bit about how this podcast is a little bit more focused uh, toward those who have not had near-death experiences. But one of the things that's interesting about many of the other near-death experience podcasts that I found out there is that they are a little bit more geared toward those who have had near-death experiences. And the reason for that seems to be that many who have had these kind of experiences have similar symptoms to what you're talking about with this uh, girl that you was your foster child. That they are suffering because of after effects. Uh, you know, we've talked about them on this podcast uh, more as a positive thing simply because those who learn to really integrate their experience and, and learn from it can benefit from the experiences they have and the effects that it has on them. But for many, it pretty much drives them insane until they find some way to integrate it. Now, I've, I haven't looked up any of the groups or anything that you discussed, whether they are the kind of groups that are helpful for this. I have no idea. I haven't looked it up. But I have learned from these various podcasts that, that the, those kinds of effects, that electromagnetic sensitivity and other similar kinds of things that can be, I mean, just almost drive a person crazy because of, of the effects. These are very common kinds of things that happen from a near-death experience. And so my first question for her would be, have you had a near-death experience? And my second question, you know, and, and depending on the person, you know, that may or may not be a, an appropriate question to ask. But my other question would be, if the answer is no, would be, have you gotten pretty close to dying before? And if she's been experiencing some severe migraines, um, it's possible that in some of those attacks she may have had some near-death experiences that she doesn't remember or an experience that she doesn't remember. Because many people, many, many who have these experiences don't remember them, sometimes for several years. And my guess, and I'm just throwing this out there because I have no idea, I've not talked to her, but uh, my guess is that she probably has had a near-death experience and she... Uh, and she is experiencing some of the after effects of that. Now, at the risk of being the guy with the hammer, and by that I mean, you know, that idea that to the man with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> it's easy to say for me to say, as somebody who researches near-death experiences, to just about anybody who's having any kind of thing that reflects an after effect, say, well, it's probably a near-death experience. You know, I hesitate. Uh, to, you know, swing my hammer <laughs> everywhere I go because, for one thing, you know, it, that doesn't give a solution. And second of all, you know, there's, there's lots of other kinds of things that can cause these kind of sensitivities, you know, uh, and, and I don't know what they are. I'm not a medical professional. Like, like you said, some people develop 
you know, an intolerance for gluten or dairy or peanuts or whatever that they didn't have as children and that they developed later on in life or as adults. And, uh, and it's possible that electromagnetic sensitivity is one of those. However, it's also one of the more rare ones. If you were to ask people, how many people do you know that are gluten intolerant, they could probably list it on, they would need more than one hand to list the people who have had it. However, if you asked um, people how many have electromagnetic sensitivity, I think they would have trouble filling one hand with the number of, of people. I don't think there's too many people that know more than five people who have electromagnetic sensitivity, unless they are friends with many near-death experiencers. And because that is one that I have not heard of somebody who is electromagnetically sensitive, who didn't either have a near-death experience or was in a situation where it's possible that they had one and have forgotten it. And when I say forgot it, I'm not talking about, you know, they had it and then just over the years it drifted away. That's not how these things work. I don't know why, but if somebody doesn't remember, if somebody wakes up from a near-death experience and they remember it, not only will they remember it for life, but it will remain probably the most vivid memory of their life for the rest of their life. And second to that, if they don't remember anything, they wake up and like this experiencer we just read from, you know, wakes up with a joyful feeling, just feeling great and thinking they probably had an experience that they've forgotten. If they do remember it later, be it hours, months, weeks, or even years later, I've heard of decades later even, once that memory comes back, and it may only come back in bits and pieces, but as that memory comes back, those bits and pieces that are remembered are so vivid to them that they don't lose the memory again. There's something about when you remember a near-death experience, you won't forget it again. You just won't. Now, Will you remember all of it? No, probably not. That doesn't seem to be the pattern. The pattern seems to be you get it in bits and pieces, and then in bits and pieces it comes together until you have the full memory or a portion of it or whatever. And But again, people can have near-death experiences and have all these. There was one lady who um, had a near-death experience, and was trying to integrate this and ran into somebody who knew somebody and suggested that they go and get a hold of or uh, join IONS, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And it's an organization that is not religiously based. It's not some kind of empowerment group. It is just a group um, that is in the study of near-death experiences. That That's their purpose, to bring to light the events of approaching death and having experiences beyond this life. That's, they study that. That's what they do. You know, kind of like the kinds of things I do uh, with this podcast. And, and so they don't have an agenda per se. They're just studying these things. Anyway, she goes to this IONS conference and she's, she's just blown away because everybody else around her has, has similar experiences to hers, as well as the kind of 
after effects that she has. She'd never heard the word after effects or anything about it. But, but then she said, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the effects that you're talking about, I have been experiencing, but I'm confused because I have been experiencing those all my life. Those, those kinds of, you know, sensitivities and, and empathetic, you know, responses to things and so forth. I've had that all my life. Why? That doesn't make sense. And she's talking to one of the members who, she doesn't know her at the time, but it, she asks, you know, talks to her afterward and, and finds out her name is PMH Atwater, who is kind of a, a near-death experience guru in this field. She's, she's done, written several books on the subject. She's had her own experiences and interviewed thousands of people who have had, anyway, she, she's, she's the one that she pulled aside and she's like, I, I'm confused. I, I, I've had these effects all my life and they, they, you know, I thought I was just weird <laughs> and, and I wondered if I might've been a little bit mentally challenged or something because of these effects. And, and PMH says, you might want to go and look at your medical records. You may want to go and talk with, um, a parent, you know, sibling, somebody who can tell you if you've ever been really close to death before. And she's like, all right, I mean, I can do that, but I mean, we, we're a close family and they've never told me of anything. So she goes to her brother, because her brother, I think, is her oldest living relative at the time. She's quite a bit older and by now. And, and she uh, says to him. She's doing a medical history of her life for a, I don't know, for some, she just makes up a story basically. that She's, she's coming up with a medical history of her life. Oh, I think it had to do with, you know, um, for future surgeries and so forth so that they know what kinds of medical things she's basically making it sound like it's important that I know all the medical things that have happened. And, and she says, is there anything in my past that maybe I wouldn't have known about, um, such as when I was young, you know, where I, you know, came close to death or anything like that. And he kind of skirts the question a little bit and says, oh, let me think about it and then I'll get back with you. Well, she, he calls a couple hours later and he says, there's this one thing. And at the time, mom told me not to tell you um, because, uh, you know, uh, if dad knew, he'd, he'd probably get abusive. Or I, I can't remember. It was something, something like it was important that you not know about this at the time. But basically, she had stopped breathing and been, um, I, I think she'd been sick, super high fever. She stopped breathing. They put her in a you know tepid water and was doing all this stuff. And then at one point, she <gasps> takes a breath and starts coming back. And she says, and she was like months old at the time. She had no memory of it or anything. But the point is, is that she had had this near dying experience as a baby. And it had the after effects of a near death experience all her life. And didn't know about it until she had her second, apparently, near death experience. And in talking to other near death experiencers it comes to light that these things often come from that. Now, the other aspect to this that's 
that makes this not all that helpful is that even if it is caused by a near-death experience, what do you do about it? You know, especially when in, you know, the situation of your foster child, uh, what can you do? I mean, <laughs> you're just just a bystander of so in, in a sense, you know, and, and so what can you do? And all I can say is the only thing that I've found from near-death experiencers that has helped is talking to other near-death experiencers because sometimes they can say, yeah, I have that and here's something I found that helps for me or else, yeah, I have that too. And just having this camaraderie among people who, you know, with like experiencers or like experiences um, helps you know, if only in a therapeutic sort of way. But like you say, the the best thing you can be doing is praying, especially when there's potential for, you know, hurt feelings and estrangement and so forth. Um, but if you wanted my advice, I would say, you know, first pray uh, for her. That's number one. And number two, you know, like like you've been doing, but number two is maybe ask her about these things. And if if there is some reason to believe that she may have had a near-death experience, you may want to get her in touch with other near-death experiences. Um, IANS, you can uh, find by going to IANDS.com, I think. It's the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Let me just double-check on IANS here. It's IANS.org. I'm sorry, not .com, but IANS dot org i a n d s dot org and there are groups there are and honestly there's one in salt lake county that's a really good one uh, in fact they're probably one of the better ones i suspect because utah is one of the more um oh i, I don't know how to describe it one of the more accepting states of near-death experiences if you will and that may be because of, of the religious um, atmosphere. It may be because, um, it, you know, just generally more spiritually minded people. I don't know what the reason is, but they have a really good group. And as far as I know, it's free. You just show up once a month. They get together. They have a speaker that shares their experience. And then people hang around and talk if they want to. And, uh, and so... I would recommend that. I, I don't know what it would lead to. I don't know how, um, you know, whether it would actually help her with the challenges that her effects have brought about, or maybe she'll just find, you know, friends that understand her. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts. But, uh, you know, talk to her and, and see if you can find out if she may have had such an experience. And, it's funny, though, because, you know, when you talk to people who aren't as familiar with these things, especially if she hasn't had an experience, she may be like, what? You know, because the first time I heard about the after effects of near-death experiences, I was like, what? What? But wait a minute, what? What does that even have to do with it? You know, it's kind of like telling somebody, you know, I don't know. You know, from the first time that I shaved my face, all of a sudden, you know, I see red spots every time I look at a, a TV screen. What? That that doesn't. How does that? 
you know, what? You know, and it seems that way at first to people. And, and so, you know, you got to be careful how you ask people about it. But honestly, if she's had an experience, and I say this, you know, to you in the sense that you may, you listeners out there also may know people who have similar kinds of experiences. And so you can relate to this, um, by, you know, in, in terms of your friends and so forth. But, but to somebody who's had an experience and they also have these weird effects, they've probably not connected them. They probably haven't said, yeah, from the moment I, you know, came back, this has been the case and it's totally different than it used to be. Probably they just have these things showing up in their life and have no idea that there's any connection to this near-death experience. And to the question of why do they show up after near-death experiences, I have no idea. I have no idea. But they're so common that, you know, it's it's worth bringing up. And And that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is to study these kind of experiences, study what happens with death and also what happens with surviving death and the kinds of things that come out of it. And just bringing these things to light and making more people to say, oh, that's weird, but I see that it's a thing, will help open doors to people in these situations where that are having these challenges and they don't know why to be able to say, oh, there's more to this. It's a spiritual thing. Whatever that means, I don't know, but it's a spiritual thing somehow. And so it's, it's worth bringing to light. It's just like how when they first started realizing, you know, that autism has this scale, that there is autism, like deep autism, where a person may not even be able to speak, uh, you know, and then you go further up this, uh, the scale and there are more functional aspects of it. There's Asperger's, which most people have Asperger's unless they are told about this gradation of the autistic spectrum may live out their lives with no idea they have it. And because we now have this scale that we're aware of and it's becoming more uh, well-known, you know, there's articles in newspapers about it, there's blog entries about it, people post stuff on Facebook, and people are seeing these things and saying, wait a minute, that sounds like my friend, or that sounds like my sister, or my brother, or, you know, maybe we should get them checked for that. I mean, honestly, that was part of what gave me the, uh, the ability really, uh, to find out that I had ADHD. I knew I had problems. I knew that there were things in my life that I was struggling with and I didn't know why. And I couldn't pinpoint a common factor between all these different things until, you know, in doing these weird research, you know, uh, forgetting names, forget, you know, forgetting appointments, not being able to keep track of certain things and having this, you know, driving ambition and yet having a hard time paying attention with this and, and just putting in these symptoms that I started coming across, across blog entries and YouTube videos and other things where people are saying, yeah, this is, was the symptoms we saw and it turned out to be ADHD and somebody else and it turned out to be ADHD and it turned out, I'm like, wait a minute, ADHD, I kind of, 
I thought that was just something that means it's hard for you to pay attention. But I, my experience is when I get into something, I pay too hard of attention and I just drive it to the nth degree. And, and that doesn't sound like, you know, attention deficit to me. And when I dug deeper, I found out actually a symptom is diving too deeply into something that you're interested in. And so anyway, point is, we can have the same effect with near-death near-death experiences and the after effects of it by bringing it to light and by by sharing these things and talking to people and saying, hey, have you ever looked into this? Because for anybody who has either an experience or or who has some kind of condition, you know, whatever, once you see it, once you can, the light is shined on what it is that you're suffering, it's a tremendous relief. For me, the analogy with the ADHD thing is, it's like all my life, I have been in this dark room with flames coming at me out of nowhere, and these sounds and scratches and and things that I'm just like, what is going on in here? And when somebody flipped on the light, and I could see it was a dragon, and this dragon is called ADHD, suddenly I could study the dragon. I could try to understand the dragon and I could look into this dragon and see what can this dragon do for me rather than just being, you know, scalded by these random flames in the dark and so forth that I don't know where they're coming from. We can, you know, we bring it to light and suddenly it can become a positive instead of a negative. And I think that's kind of where we're at with some of the effects of a near-death experience. That's why I bring that up, because just by bringing it to light, if that's the case, I'm not saying it is, but that's one possibility, and if that's the case, it could bring a great deal of relief. If only the relief of knowing that, yeah, there's nothing you can do about your electromagnetic sensitivity, but it could really help you to understand some ways to deal with it. I don't know. Just a thought. Anyway, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. If you would like to contact the, the podcast to either share your experience, if you have a question, or if you have a comment, you can share that by going to or by emailing uh, neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also call, uh, as DeLon did, uh, 970-NDE-CAST. And what you'll get is a three-minute message time. And when you come to the end of that three minutes, if you are if you still have more to share, just call right back and continue on. That's exactly what Delon did. And I'm able to easily splice them together into one big message. And I don't care how many times you call. You can call 50 times if you want. I'll piece it all together. We'll make a, a single episode out of it. You know, that'd be great. So, with that, thank you all of you so much for listening.